All right, so uh, my name is Michael Page, and I am the campus pastor here at Connection Church, uh, Pooler slash Garden City slash Savannah. Uh, and so what God's doing in this place is really awesome, and I, and I love our family, what God is kind of putting together here at this place. And, I, and I, just what Abby said and what uh, Thomas has said and what Camille has said, all throughout, is there's just this common theme of, of family and of uh, just of God doing something special in this place, and I'm just I'm just excited to be a part of it. And I tell people all the time, if you want to preach, I would trade places in a heartbeat. I just want to be a part of it because it's awesome to watch God move and and and, and act, and and I really see that um, just the the characteristics of the Acts Church coming to life in this place, and it's awesome. And um, so, if it's your first time here this morning, welcome. I'm glad you're here, man. If you, I I want you to feel like you're at home. I want you to feel like you're one of us. And um, I, if you have one of those cards that Abby was talking about, and if you don't. Feel like you're ready to fill it out, but then dinner service at some point you feel like you want to, you go you can do that and drop it off at our next steps table. If you haven't noticed that's the place to be after service, it's the next steps table. There's a lot so just so rush out of here and just just go um, tackle Lindsay and say, Hey, I want to get involved. So that's the way to get involved right here. So um, and I hope you guys are as excited about all the guys doing around here that, that as I am. I know I say that all the time, and I know you guys make fun of me sometimes, like you always say that. Huh? Because I am. I'm really fired up about what's happening in this place. And as, as we're taking steps that God is leading us into, and it's, this is not a normal thing. Like, God, the, the way things are happening and the way things are moving and shaking, it's not normal the way that the, in, 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 in places that you see very often. What I think is happening is we're seeing the effects of people in this place who are praying fervently for the move of God to occur. It may be one, two, three, four, five. I don't know how many people in here, but I know there are people on their faces praying that God would move praying that God would change hearts, praying that God would change families, praying that someone who doesn't know Jesus would come to Christ, would know who he is. And, and, and you're seeing the results of people who are turning their hearts towards God and believing what he said in Scripture when he said if you would honor him, he would honor us with his presence. And it's exciting. And so don't overlook it, man. Don't overlook what's happening. And don't just kind of push it to the side. It's like, this is, this is normal. I'm going to church. I'm going home. I'm going to church. This is not normal. Get involved. Get, don't overlook it. Just last week alone, just last week alone, we had three people go from death to life in Christ. That's awesome. Three people said yes to Christ and, and walked into a relationship with him last week. We had four new people sign up for baptisms last week. We had, we had, 13, we had 13 people turning heart and soul covenant saying, hey, I want to get involved in what God's doing. We had four people turn, uh, sign up for heart and soul next month. We had 10 people, 10 people, which we don't know what to do with these people. It's awesome. Like, 10 people sign up to serve. It's great. And we had three people sign up for connect groups and four first-time givers. And what's even more exciting, man, this is, this is what fires me up is I'm singing this, so we're singing this song, a singing go about Jesus coming and restoring hope to our lives through, through, through his sacrifice on the cross. Like, during, the, during one of the songs this morning, a young lady came up here and gave her life to Christ in the middle of a service. That's awesome. Like, y'all don't need me. It's awesome. It's great. God's moving. God's doing great things. And like, and as we continue to turn our hearts towards him, I believe we're going to see more and more and more incredible things happen in this place, in this community, out these doors and across the globe. If, it's a big if, if we continuously turn our hearts and honor Christ with our first and our best, not our leftovers, of our time and our treasure and our talent. And so this morning, my question is, who's in? Are we in? Are we in on this? Are we fired up about it? Because today, I'm going to tell you, man, today's going to be a great day. Today, we're in, we're going to be a second week in our three-week series called Death by Distraction, where we begin talking about how the enemy's greatest, greatest goal in your life, individually, your life, is to distract you away from what God is calling you towards. That, that's his greatest that's his greatest tactic that's been from the beginning of time. And we began talking about the various ways that he's been largely very effective in our culture in distracting the church away from the mission of God. Wouldn't you agree? Like the mission of God, he's been very effective in that. And he's created generations and generations of followers who have been largely ineffective when it comes to the mission of God. And I want to see that change. I want to see that change in this place. And I want to see that change worldwide. And, and we also talked about the message, the importance of the message and the urgency of the gospel in reaching the lost and how if the gospel is working its way into your hearts individually your hearts in this place then it's going to naturally start working its way out because when the gospel comes into your heart into your head and comes into your heart it works its way out of your hands we talk about that all the time here and 
And as we continue this discussion this week in our second week, I want us to ask ourselves, if we came here this morning, I don't care if you came from out of town visiting family. I don't care if this is your first time in a church service in many years. I don't care if you don't care about Jesus. But what I want you to care about right now, I want you to ask yourself, did you come here this morning with an expecting heart, expecting to hear from God, expecting something to be different in this place this morning? Where are we at with the mission of God? And that's the question I want to ask us as we get going this morning. So I want to pray for us. And we're going to be in Mark chapter 10 if you want to turn there. Um, so I'm going to pray for us and we'll, we'll get going. So Lord, we love you, God. We love all that you're doing in this place. I pray that you would move, Father, in a mighty way in this place this morning, that you would change hearts this morning, God, that, that we would see um, more response happening in this place. God, that you would, your message would, uh, as you promised in Scripture, would not turn void in this place, that we wouldn't be rebellious to the message that you're trying to send to our hearts, God, the, the gospel, the, the message of, of hope, Father. So this morning, I pray as we read, Lord, that you would be made real to us, that you would be made real uh, to us as a body, and that you would just move us into action. Lord, we love you. In your name I pray. Amen. All right, so Mark chapter 10, verse 17 is where we're going to be at. And if you've ever been in church before, uh, we're going to talk about the rich young ruler. Everybody heard about him? If you had not been in church before, that's okay, too. You're about to get some new knowledge. It's awesome. Good times. Here we go. So let's uh, start in verse 17. We're going to read through verse 31. It says this. As Jesus started on his way, a man ran up to him, fell on his knees before him. Good teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit the eternal life? And there's so many details here that we've already read that you need to pay attention to. This guy runs up to him with the intention, I need more. I need Jesus in my life. I'm on my knees. I'm begging for the knowledge that Jesus has for life. So it appears this guy is sincere in his asking, right? What do I need to do to have eternal life? God, please give me, the, give me, give me, what, you, give me what you have. Jesus says, why do you call me good? Jesus answered, no one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony. You shall not defraud honor your, and honor your father and mother. Teacher, he declared, all these I have kept since I was a boy. I could just imagine Jesus being like, oh, okay. Um, so verse 21, Jesus looked at him and loved him. One thing you lack, he said, go sell all you have and give to the poor. And you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. At this, the man's face fell down. He went away sad because he had great wealth. Jesus turned around and said to his disciples, how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. Okay, so I want to stop really quick. And I have a little note in my Bible here for myself. It says, you think an owl walk does it. We, we must follow. Like it's not about walking an owl and praying a prayer. It's, it's, a, it's an actional step of following Jesus. Jesus himself said, how hard is it for the rich to enter the kingdom of God? If Jesus says it's hard, it, that, that's, I'm going to listen to that. Because he's not saying it's hard to make the decision. He's saying it's hard for us to give our hearts away to something that doesn't uh, appeal to us sometimes. And so the disciples were amazed at the words, but Jesus said it again, children, how hard it is to enter the kingdom of God. And it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were even more amazed and said to each other, who then can be saved? Then Jesus looked at them and said, with man, this is impossible. With God, all things are possible with God. Sorry. And then Peter spoke up, we have left everything to follow you. Truly, I tell you, Jesus replied, no one who has left home or brother or sisters or mother or father or children or fields for me and the gospel will fail to receive a hundred times as much in this present age, homes, brothers, sisters, mothers, children, and fields, along with persecutions, and in the age to come, eternal life. But many who are first will be last, and the last first. And so as I was thinking about this message, I, there's, a, there's three or four things we're going to talk about today about what I feel like the, the world and the enemy uses to distract us, but I, I couldn't help but think about my dog. Okay, sorry. Me and my wife have a dog. We, I have a picture of him for you. He's awesome. His name's Major, um, and he, he's, he's my boy right there. That's my firstborn. Um, and so... We got him when he was when he was eight weeks old, and we the first one of the first things we did is we sent him to obedience school. We sent him to obedience school, and he's one, literally one of the smartest dogs that I've ever been around, um, and, and he's so well behaved. But if you come to my house, you'll be like, "That joker is wild and crazy, dude. You need to put him in another room somewhere because he gets really excited. He loves people. He loves other dogs. He loves kids. He loves all those things. But he he's so well behaved until he sees something that he wants, right?" He's well-behaved until he sees like a, a duck walking across the yard, right? Or if he sees a, a dog that he hasn't sniffed yet, 
right? Or if he sees a person or a neighbor walking outside by the side of their car that, that he may not have met yet. I, I think he'll meet that person. Or, or when we take him to the vet and, and he, has, he knows he gets to play with other dogs all day long. And when it's me and him, uh, he's great. He'll sit, he'll come, he'll stay. I can walk 100 yards away, he'll sit in that spot until I tell him to come, and he'll come. He's so well-behaved. So obedient, he's a perfect little angel. And I even take pictures sometimes with Savannah and some of my friends. I'm like, look, guys, this is him. This is, this is how he usually behaves. Y'all come around, he goes crazy. But, but, it, but when there's something he desires more than me, more than me, more than my presence, more than me, he shuts me out and it totally ignores me, acts like I'm not even there. Because he wants that stick, he wants that person, he wants that duck, he wants to do this or that. And while I was thinking through this analogy, I feel like the Lord was saying, hey, Michael, that sounds a lot like our relationship, Right? I, you do so well until you see something that distracts you away from me or you see something you desire more than my presence. And I feel like that, that was what it was saying. What I noticed, and this is what I noticed as I was reading Scripture in Mark and, and Matthew and some of the other places we're going to be today, this is what I noticed about Jesus when I, when I studied Scripture is his focus. You know, he's so focused on the mission. He's so focused on what his father called him to do. And what I've, seen over, what I've seen over the past few weeks as I've studied for this series is all the times that people try to get Jesus off the mission, right? Not just the Pharisees, not just the enemy, but, but people, his disciples tried to pull him off his mission multiple times. Now, it was the, his disciple, Peter, one time Peter came to him and after finding out that Jesus was going to go to the cross, and what did he say? Lord, you don't need to die, you're the king. You can do whatever you want. You can take over everything and we'll be right here by your side. And what did Jesus say? Get behind me who? So he called Peter, Satan. Get behind me, Satan. He actually called, he was talking to the person behind Satan. I, you, know, you know, whatever. But he was focused. He was focused on the mission. He said, Peter, you don't have in mind things of God, but you're focused on the things of man. That's what he's saying. And that's what I, I see that parallel in my life is I'm trying to follow Jesus. And when something comes in my life that I, I want more than him, I go running. I'm, I'm after that thing because it looks better on the surface than what I feel like God's given me in the here and now. And so this got me thinking this morning about you guys, about us as a church, as we're talking about going to the nations, as we're talking about going to our community, as we're talking about discipleship type relationships, where's your focus at? Where's your focus? Right here, right now, I know it's, it's easy to focus on God because we're in church. But when you walk out the doors, where's your focus at? Do you even talk about the sermon? Do you even talk about what God did through worship? Do you even talk about how you can apply some of these truths of Scripture to your life with your spouse or with your friends? Where does, where does that go? Or are we distracted back to the thing? Because Jesus was zoned in, and he was focused on what God had sent him to do. And today I want to talk a little bit for a little while about the things that attempt to distract or to pull our attention away from the things that matter the most and so my question this morning is, for you individually, just you don't have to answer this, is like, are you easily distracted? Are you a person that's easily distracted? I'm not. I mean, I'm just kidding. I am. I'm easily distracted. If you know me, I'm very, I'm easily distracted. But I'm like squirrel, you know, whatever. It's like there's something always on, uh, just is distracting me. And we established last week that we live, and I know we can all agree, that we live in the busiest culture that has ever existed where most of our attention and focus is being pulled and interrupted at every turn by something called multitasking or distraction is what I like to call it. And we talked about how every bit of information that you can imagine in the world is now able to fit inside your front pocket because of cell phones. Everything you have, everything you want to learn about. You want to learn about what the score of the game, there it is. You want to learn about what the definition of a word is, there it is. Anything you want can fit right there in your pocket. You find out what you want. And have you ever thought about how many moments you may have missed or I may have missed because we were so distracted by things that weren't, that, that weren't very important but might have seemed pretty important in a minute? Can you, can you, have you thought about that before? I can't count how many times that I put myself before God and ask him in, here in worship, like, God, like, I need blessings, Lord, give me blessings to, to, so that I can use them to serve you. Or, God, help me to be a good husband. Or, help me to be a good father to Braxton and to Chloe. And, 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 and what God's been showing me is how many blessings I'm overlooking in my life. How many blessings I'm overlooking because I've been distracted by the pursuit of the blessings I think I want or need. Because I'm the one that's determining what a good blessing is and what's not a good blessing. I don't, God don't have that sense of lordship in my life. I'm the one declaring what's good and what's bad, not him. And that's what I want to show you this morning is what is distracting us, what's pulling us away. 
And what else he's been showing me is how many opportunities that he's given me that I've missed to be a good husband and a good father because some of the things I thought were more important in the moment weren't. And I missed out on time with my wife, on time with my son and my daughter, on time with my friends, on time sharing scripture with people or sharing the love of Jesus with my neighbor. I've missed out on those times because I've been chasing things that weren't important. But he changes your heart, and then he gives you opportunities to be that better husband, that better father, that better disciple maker. And I need to start asking God personally, this may be you too, I need to start asking God to help me recognize. Lord, I'm not asking for blessings. God, just open my eyes. Let me see the things that you're putting in front of me so that I won't miss it. Because there's too many times that I miss it by going after things that I think that I want, that I think that I know what's best for me. I need to start asking God to help me recognize and remember things he wants me to focus on. And I remember back in the, in the Gospels, Jesus was focused. So if I'm following Jesus, what does that mean about my life? I should be focused on what he was focused about, on things like his kingdom, his, his mission. If his mission was to go to the nations, that should be my mission. If his mission was for, for me to make a disciple, I should make disciples. If his mission was for me to come to an altar and submit to him the rest of my life, I should be submissive. His dreams, his goals, his aspirations, and everything else, your family, your work, all those things, your finances, your, your, your careers, your hobbies, should fit around those things. That should be central. And what I've found out in churches nowadays, what you have is you have this big, this, I don't have it on a chart, so I'm sorry, this just came to me right now. A big pie chart. Everybody know what a pie chart is? Big circle, right? And a lot of times, people in churches, a lot of times churches' strategies, you have your worship service, you have your sermons, you have your students, you have your uh, women's ministry, men's ministry, you have this big pie chart, all these things in there. And sometimes we try to fit in, we try to force in uh, missions somewhere. We try to go uh, get in there. We try, we try to fit it in somewhere. But the way a church should be run is it should be in the center of that circle, should be Matthew 28, 18 through 20. Going to all the nations, making disciples, teaching them to obey all that I've commanded you, all those things. That should be the center of everything that we're doing as a church and as a family and as, as individuals in this place. So what distractions do is they pull us away from the things that God is trying to do in our hearts and through our lives. And so if God is trying to do something through you, if God has created you for a purpose, if he's created you with a specific set of giftings and tools to be able to use to build the kingdom, what would the best tactic of the enemy be to pull you off of that path? Distractions. Distract, distract, distract. Move them away from those things because what distractions do is it keeps us focused. And hear this. Distractions keep us focused on the instant pleasures and the pursuit of our sinful hearts and move us away, move our attentions away from the long-term visions and dreams that God has for people in their life. We're seeking the instant pleasures of things instead of the long-term eternal goals. And remember last week, we called Satan for what he was. We said, man, John 10, 10, it says this, the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy but Jesus says, I've come that they may have life and have it to the full. It says the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. That's his main goal. And if you look in Nehemiah 8, chapter 8, verse 10, this is not on the screen. It says the joy of the Lord is your strength. Okay? If Satan knows what your strength is, what's he want to do with it? He wants to steal it. He wants to steal your joy. Why does he want to steal your joy? Because it's your strength. If you lose your strength, guess what? He can kill your influence because you're more prone to sin. You're more prone to walk in sin, sinfulness. You're more prone to dive off the deep end of destruction. And you're more prone to die to the influence that God's trying to put in your life. So if he can kill, he can steal your joy, he can kill your influence. And if he can kill your influence, he can destroy your life. Okay? And what I'm, I'm not telling you that your life's over if he's done this because God has got a hope. Jesus came to restore and to reconcile. So hear that hope while we're here. But this is what Satan wants to do. And this is where it gets fun. So Satan doesn't come at you to destroy your life with an army or at gunpoint saying, I'm coming to destroy your life, bro. That's not what he does. He don't, he don't, come, he don't come that way. Like, out of the thousands of distractions we face on a daily basis, there's, most of the time it's going to be done in the, in the shadows, things you don't recognize, things that are kind of just edging their way in little by little. You're going to compromise here, compromise here, lose track of time here, lose track of scripture here, lose track of community here, and it's going to be little by little until all of a sudden you're going to look up one day and be like, how do I get here? What, what happened? That's how he does it. He steals and kills and destroys by distraction. 
Like, like we talked about two weeks ago, or last week, it feels like you're literally being pulled apart. I got to do this. I got to take my kids here. I got to go on a date with my husband or my wife here. I got to go here. There's a deadline for work here. I got to go to community group. I got to go to the net group. I got to go to worship practice. I got to go prepare for a sermon. I got to do all this stuff. Oh, when's it in? I got to go to the grocery store. I got to go there. There's so much stuff to do. And there's so much things to do. And this morning, out of the thousands of distractions that you face, I'm sure that you can write them down on a sheet of paper a mile long. We, we face on a daily basis. I wanted to pull out what I see, the church as a whole, not just this one, but the big C church as a whole, being distracted in this culture. And I want to talk about them for a few minutes. And the first one is this, is I feel like based on verses 17 through 20 in the, in the scripture we just read, that we're, we've been distracted by religion, by religion. And I want to read this really quick. It's uh, verses 17 through 20. It says that Jesus started on his way. A man ran up to him, fell on his knees. Before him, good teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit the eternal life? Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony. You shall not be a fraud. You honor your father and mother. Teacher, he declared, all these I have kept since I was a boy. So this joker says, I have been a religious fiend. I have done all things that the Bible says I should do. That's a lie. He was not telling the truth. Jesus knew that. That's why he one-upped him. But I wanted to do a quick overview of, of what religion looks like for us. You know, most religions, whether they're theistic or not, are man-centered, right? Well, they're, they're man-centered, they're man-focused. And what this means is that any relationship, any relationship with God is based on what? Man's works. What I do to get to God. That's what the religion, that's what the religious bone tells us. A, th a theistic religion such as like Judaism or Islam holds to the belief in a supreme God or gods, while a non-theistic religion like Buddhism or Hinduism focuses on a metaphysical thought pattern or, or spiritual energies or trying to get to a higher plane of life. And, but most religions, I think, are similar in that they're built upon this concept that man can gain or reach a higher plane of living or state of power through his or her own efforts. And that's kind of bled over into Christianity, I believe. And so in that regard, Christianity, by definition, is not a religion. It's supposed to be a relationship that God has initiated and established with people through the gospel. Like, you can look all throughout the Gospels, all throughout the New Testament, and you can see, especially in Romans, we had zero part in the Gospel. We had zero part. The all we were was a beneficiary of God's incredible grace. That's the good news of the Gospel. You did nothing for it. It was given to you freely. Why? Why did he give it to you for free? Because he loves you. Because he loves you. That's it. And we don't like to, we don't like to settle for that very often. Because we want to work for it. i got to get my hands dirty. i got to do some things so I can, I can be more saved. I want to be a little bit more saved than my, my friend. You know? i got to do more and more and more. And so here this morning, if you're stuck in a cycle of religion, and I want to say this with as much grace as possible, it means you haven't understood the gospel. If you're stuck in a pattern of religion, it means you have not understood the gospel. Either you've forgotten it or you never got it. Because religion is not conducive with Christianity. Religion cannot save you. Religion will not save you. Jesus came to do what religion was powerless to do. Religion keeps you in chains. It makes you feel like you're just going through the motions. I'm so tired. But Christ came to set you free from religion. He came to set you free to live a life that's free, free from sin, free from religion, free from condemnation or shame from the past or things you've done. And remember our point last week that God is not something to get done on some priority list. He's a person to spend time with, to be transformed by. And the goal is this. If you don't listen to anything else, listen to this. The goal of your faith is to know Jesus and to be known by Jesus. That's the, that's the goal, to know him and to be known by him. That means you need to open yourself up to the Savior. Let him know the things in your heart that you're hiding, you're holding on to, that you think are going to save you. And the goal is never about perfection. Because religion tells you you have to be perfect, right? I got to do this or I'm going to go to hell. I got to do this or I'm not going to hear from Jesus. My prayer life oh, is it's so much confusion. But it's never been about perfection. It's about transformation. 
Sanctification is the word we use in Scripture. Being transformed, sanctified into what God has called us to be, becoming more and more like Christ until we're eternally glorified on the day that we die. And all throughout Scripture, we can see the battle that happens between religiosity and the gospel. Who did, the, who did Jesus butt heads with the most? The most religious people of the day. When you were, if you were living back in those times and you looked at the Pharisees, you would be like, those guys are definitely going to heaven. Those guys are definitely the most, they know Jesus way more than I know him. They know God, they're closer to God than I am. And Jesus came and butted heads. His main opponent were the religious leaders. His main opponent that he always butted heads with. You can look at Matthew 23. Jesus points out that people have the tendency to recognize a religious heart in other people, but not in themselves, right? How many times have we sat in church or, or judged our neighbor or seen one of our friends that was addicted to pornography or having an affair or addicted to drugs or alcohol, and we just start like, man, what's wrong with them people? What's or somebody that's so religious that they're just looking down on other people. Man, what's wrong with that person? That, 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 ain't how Jesus, that ain't how Jesus does it. That's not how we do it here at this church. What's wrong? You know, we're easy to point people out, but we forget about the plank in our own eye, don't we? And it's time to understand the Pharisees, even, listen, the Pharisees were very clean cut. They were, Jesus called them whitewashed tombs. They looked good on the outside. They were dead on the inside. The Pharisees, out, they pointed back to Cain and the Israelites back in the day and says, we would never be like those guys. We would never be like Cain who killed Abel. We would never be like the Israelites who strayed all the time. We would never be like that. We love God. We're zealous. We stand for truth. We're about the truth. And all along, they're about to kill the greatest prophet of all time that God sent. See how hypocritical that is? How wrong that is? And the other thing that Jesus points out about religious people is it makes you a terrible evangelist. Being a, being a religious person makes you a terrible evangelist. Listen, the verse 15 says, Truly I tell you, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like this little child would never enter it. He tells the Pharisees, listen, having a childlike faith, having a childlike mentality when it comes to the gospel, believing what Jesus said at his word. You look in chapter 13 or 23 of Matthew, verse 15, it talks about, he tells the Pharisees, you go across the land and the sea, you go so hard and so far to convert one single convert, one person. And in the end, you made them twice the son of hell that you are. That's what he says to them. I'm like, man, that's Jesus, calm down, bro. Like, that's, you need to relax. But he basically means you spend so much energy trying to make disciples because your religion is making it hard for you. It's not something you're doing as an overflow of your heart. It's something you do because you think God, God's not going to love you until you do these things. Work, 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 work. And the reason it's like this is, is it's simple. Religion repels people. Religion repels people. Get a, I, I don't want this. I don't want it. Especially people unlike us in our culture. And I'm going to tell you right now, I've had conversations, multiple conversations with people in this room that, guys, if our church doesn't continuously start looking more diverse, if our church doesn't start continuously looking like the kingdom of God, where there's not all one color in this room, we've missed it. You understand that? Like, the kingdom of God is multicolored. The kingdom of God is full of culture, more cultures than just what you see up here on this stage. And listen, we have to be about going out and reaching people that don't look like us. We have to be about people going after people who are lost and broken. Listen, compare the Pharisees to Jesus. People flocked to be around Jesus. People came out the woodworks to be around Jesus, including sinners, prostitutes, and tax collectors, and Roman soldiers. Let me ask you this. Would a prostitute feel comfortable coming to our church? Would, a, would, a, would a somebody who's living in sin, known sin, be comfortable with coming in this church? I pray to God they would. Look, we, we haven't, we didn't have to go around the world. Like, he didn't, he didn't have to go around the world to all these nations. And he just walked outside, walked down the street, and these cultures flocked to him because he, was, he loved people. He, he loved people right where they were in their mess. And that's what it's about because religion repels. The love of Jesus draws and compels. And a lot of people think Christianity, and I'm going to go ahead and be honest, like a lot of people in this room, think that Christianity is, is doing all the righteous things that you hate and avoiding all the wicked things that you love to go to heaven. That's, and that's, this, is a, this is a quote from Paul Washer, my man, listen. He thinks, about, he thinks you're supposed to 
you're supposed to go do all the stuff I hate so that I can go so that I can get the avoid doing the wicked things that I love so that I can go to heaven. But listen, that's a lost man with religion. A Christian is a person whose heart has been changed and they, they have new affections and new desires. Romans 8, my favorite chapter in the Bible. The, a lot of scholars say this is the most important chapter in all the word is Romans 8. It says the Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. And what that means is the Holy Spirit confirms in us the state of our heart. If you have never felt the leading of the Holy Spirit, confirming, leading, moving you to a higher plane of your faith in Jesus, it may mean that you don't have a faith in Jesus, you have a faith in religion. And so you need to come to Jesus and turn that over because religion can't give you that confirmation like the Holy Spirit can. Religion can't do that. Religion makes us climb this never-ending mountain that overwhelms and exhausts us. It's, it's like our hearts are consumed with trying to earn God's love. God, love me. God, love me. See all the stuff I'm doing. And every act of service that we carry out in the church will always seem forced and will eventually burn us out because it's not done from the right heart. And a litmus test to determine this for you guys today is if you're living and you're distracted by religion, is this. Do you feel like whenever somebody comes on the stage and says, hey, come serve, come give, start coming to church, read your Bible, pray, all these things, do you feel like that's more tiring and overwhelming or does that energize you? You know what I mean? That's a good litmus, that's a good litmus test. Are, are you tired and burnt out by it? Or is I'm pumped up about this. Like God is moving in my life and he's using this to, 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 to reach people. Charles Spurgeon, one of my favorite pastors, said, the poor sinner trying to be saved by works is like a blind horse going round and round a mill and never getting a step further, but only being whipped continually. The faster he goes, the more work he does, the more he's tired. That's a great definition of religion. Paul, mother man, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, 14 through 15, says, for Christ's love, what? compels us. It pushes us forward because we're convinced that one died for all and therefore all died. That means I've died to myself. I've died to my desires. I've died to everything that I think is important in my life. My finances are God's. I don't hold them back from him. My time is God's. I don't hold it back from him. He can use me however he wants. My talents were given to me by God, so I'm going to give them back to God because they're his. That's the mentality that it looks like to be, a, a, be compelled by the love of Christ, to be compelled by the gospel and not holding things back. So if you're being distracted this morning by religion and you're burned out by religion, the answer is not to take a break. That, that, Y'all thought I was about to say take a break, didn't you? The answer, the, the answer is not to take a break. I, need, I just need a break from serving for a while. Let me call Lindsay. Let me call Stacy. Let me call Thomas. Let me call Michael. I just need a break. And I've, I've trained my staff to punch you in the face. I'm just kidding. I'm not doing that. It's a joke. That's a joke. That's a joke. Sorry. You don't need a break. The answer, the answer is to go deeper in the gospel. The answer is to go deeper in the gospel, to understand the gospel more, to relearn the truth that you may have overlooked, to, to relearn the love of Jesus that he has for you, to go deeper in, deeper in, not to, not to step back, to go deeper in to what God is calling you to do. And so do you remember, my quest, last one for this, do you remember a day when you felt the love of Jesus compelling you to go? Or are you like the rich young ruler? You've been distracted by religion as a means to get to heaven, and you've missed Jesus and forgotten the gospel. Those are the two areas. So that's my questions for you this morning, how that looks. The second thing, we get distracted by good things, right? I do. Hey, it's one thing to be distracted by bad things. I get that. I mean, it's easy to look at lust and say that that's a bad thing to be distracted by, right? So let's look real quick. Verse 28 through 30 in the same chapter says this. Then, then Peter spoke up. We have left everything to follow you. Truly I tell you, Jesus replied, no one who has left home or brother or sister or mother or father or children or fields for me and the gospel will fail to receive a hundred times as much in this present age homes, brothers, sisters, mothers, children, and fields, along with persecutions, and in the age to come, eternal life. And so what he's saying is home, moms, dads, brothers, sisters are all great things. They're wonderful things. But sometimes we find ourselves being pulled apart and distracted by 10 really good things, by, 
10 or 12 really good things that in, on the surface, they look great. Like, you know, for instance, I need to spend time with my kids. I need to take my wife on a date. But there's a sermon I have to write because Sunday's always coming, right? I won't write itself. Or like, listen, I, I need to spend time with God and seek him in prayer more often. I need to pray more. Uh, but I also need to make those sales calls and I need to tie up the loose ends at work or I need to take a nap. I, I love taking naps. Jesus took naps. Good. Or I, I need to join a connect group. I want to join a connect group or I want to serve at church, but I don't know if I have time because work. I'm not sure I can take time off to do those things, right? Or I, I want to give, but we're trying to save for a house or we're trying to save for a vacation and I won't be able to afford those things if I give my tithes and my offerings. Listen, it's a genius strategy that the enemy is using to steal, kill, and destroy, and we make it so easy for him. We make it, we just roll over. It's like, yeah, take me. And we don't even fight. And distractions with the good is one of Satan's primary tools to keep us from considering eternal things. Eternal things. Like we're so easy to, to, to focus on the things of the earth things of flesh, but we forget about eternal things, things that matter for life, for eternity. And he uses the good to keep us from the essential. He uses the good things in life to keep us from the essential things in life because what we can say is, as a fact this morning, a distracted life will always lead to a distracted heart. A distracted life will always lead to a distracted heart. And that's what Satan is after, to distract your heart away from Jesus. And we can look right now in Matthew chapter um, 13. If you want to turn there, it'll be on the screen if you don't. It's the parable of the sower. And I love this. I love this story. It talks about how, how people are distracted and how people have a distracted heart. It says this. We're going to read 1 through 9, then we'll skip down to verse 18. It says, That same day Jesus went out to the house and sat by the lake. Such large crowds gathered around him that he got into a boat and sat in it while all the people stood on the shore. Then he told them many things in parables, saying, A father went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path, and the birds came and ate it. Some fell on rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched, and they, with, and they withered because they had no root. Other seed fell among thorns, which grew up and choked the plants. Still other seed fell on the good soil where it produced a crop a hundred, sixty, or thirty times what was sown? Whoever has ears, let him hear. I love how Jesus drops the mic on that statement every time. If you hear it, hear it. Verse 18. Listen then to what the parable of the sower means. When anyone hears the message about the kingdom and does not, does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what was sown in their heart. This is the seed along the path. The seed falling on the rocky ground refers to someone who hears the word and once receives it with joy. But since they have no root, they last only a short time when trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. The seed falling among the thorns refers to someone who hears the word, but the worries of his life and the deceitfulness of wealth choke the word, making it unfruitful. He's distracted. But the seed falling on good soil refers to someone who hears the word and understands it. This is the one who produces a crop yielding 160 or 30 times that what was sown. And each four of these types of soil, guys, this morning, if you hadn't picked up on it yet, represents the heart, represents four different types of heart conditions, heart conditions that you or I may experience at any time. Some may hear the gospel. You may hear the gospel. If you come here, you hear it a lot, and you don't understand it because there's too many, you're, you're too consumed with things of the world, and you've, you have this self-centered worldview. So you can't understand giving up your life, turning your life over to Christ, being used by him. Some people hear the gospel and they receive it. They're like, thank you, Jesus, for saving me. Hallelujah. Let's raise our hands and worship. Let's get excited about this. But they end up falling away. They fall away because they didn't spend time letting that root grow deep in their heart, going deeper into the gospel. And when times get hard, they fall away. And some people get distracted and fall away, distracted by life because the gospel never was allowed into their heart to take a deep root because it was competing with all the other things in the person's life. Competing for, other, uh, for competing for time. And it was distraction that kept God's seed from taking root, from God's word from taking root. And the sower, who is God, sows the seed. And the devil comes right along behind him and sows seeds of distraction, doubt, confusion. Keep sow, sowing those bad seeds. So you see how that works. Are you with me this morning on this? Am I alone? I hope not. Because you think about this. 
significant things that God may be trying to do in your heart and your life may be getting pushed aside because of things that may seem urgent this morning at this moment, but end up in the end not being that important. Is that you? Is that you this morning? God's trying to do something in your life significantly to take, make you take next steps, but you've been pushing those things aside because of what you've got going on. And most of us here have never rejected the Word of God. They might not have said, that ain't, that's a bunch of crap. Then most of you wouldn't say that. Some of you might, I don't know. But most of you wouldn't say, that's, that's not right. But we just get distracted from it. We can all agree that the Word's good, right? But we get distracted from reading it, from putting it in a, into application mode in our life. And here's what you need to be confident about today in your own personal life is the devil has a uniquely designed plan to keep you from the word and from it taking root in your life. A uniquely designed plan for every single name in this room from being used for kingdom purposes. The devil has uniquely designed a plan in your life to keep you from your knees, from praying. He does. If you don't, look at your track record. You tell me. I can tell you mine. He has a plan to keep you from answering the call to make much of Jesus and live your life surrendered to him. He, he wants you to find a hundred reasons not to. And I want to tell you, if the good things in your life, we all have good things. If the good things in your life aren't God things, the things that God has called you to, things that God is calling you into, then those good things are actually bad things. Hear that this morning. They may seem good on the surface, but they're distracting you from the kingdom from the mission of God, they're bad things. And they're your enemy in the end. Finally, number three. This is where it gets kind of hairy, guys, so bear with me. Distracted by sin. Anybody else struggle with sin in here? I, I do. I, I do. Sins, it sucks, man. Can I use that word? I don't know. I did. Whatever. It stinks, man. Sin stinks, man. It's, it's not, it, it pulls you away from where God is wanting you to be. Sin pulls you back from where he's, God is leading you. Look at verse 21, verse 21 and 22 in uh, the rich young ruler story. Jesus looked at him and loved him. One thing you lack. Listen, he said this with love. He looked at him and loved him. Man, I, I love you, man. One thing you lack. Go steal everything you have and give to the poor, and then you will have treasure in heaven, and then come back and follow me. So at once, the man fell face down. He went away sad because he had great wealth. What I've learned most through this story is that our attention often runs to what's most important to us. Our attention, our attention span runs usually in the same vein of what's important to us. So distraction can usually reveal what we love most in our life. What, what distracts you the most is what, usually what's gonna, what you're going to be walking in most often. What's distracting you is what you love the most. And if you're a follower of Jesus today, if you're a Jesus follower, you can't love your life or this world more than you love Jesus. That is a fact from Scripture. Okay, so if you believe the word this morning, that's what it says. You can't love the world and Jesus more than you love your life. And listen, I'm not sure we've heard what I just said correctly, but th there's no room for two lords in your life. You can't love God and money. You can't love Jesus and something else. You can't, it, listen, it, there's only room for one Lord. Scripture is clear on that. And so what I'm telling you is you literally cannot follow Jesus without loving everything else in your life less than you love Jesus. It's impossible. You literally cannot do it effectively as it's laid out in Scripture. And that's where a lot of us are being distracted this morning because we love a lot of things. We love our, our lives. We love our wealth. We love our everything more than we love him. Every, anything else isn't considered following Jesus. Anything else. And that's what Jesus means in, in Luke chapter 14 when he talks about the cost of discipleship. The cost of discipleship. It's a hard chapter to read because you're like, God, I don't, I don't know if I can do that. That's hard, man. And that's why Jesus told the rich young ruler, that's why he told the disciples it's hard for the rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven because it's hard. That's why the rich young ruler, guess what? He went away sad because he couldn't part with this world. He couldn't part with his wealth enough to follow Jesus. And this is why Jesus tells this guy to sell everything because Jesus knew what? When times got tough, when persecution came, the man would run back to what was comfortable. He would run back to what was comfortable, what was familiar, and into the same life that he used to live. And it's the same as true with us. Because guys, being a part of a church like this, going into the community, 
That won't be easy. That won't be, that won't be easy. That'd be hard. Planting churches in other cities around the world, that's, that's not an easy task. That's hard. That takes time. That takes energy and effort. Going to the nations, that won't be easy. That'll be hard. Roadblock after roadblock. But I can tell you one thing this morning, and I can promise you this, is that it's going to be awesome. It's going to be worth every single step we take that's hard because seeing the kingdom built here, seeing the kingdom come like Jesus has called us to in our life is, is so awesome. Look, look at this verse with me real quick. First John chapter 2, it's on the screen. This is, if you ever wonder what being a Christian looks like, go read First John. It's a template for how to follow Jesus. How to, how to follow Jesus. And this is what John tells the new believers. He says this, do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, love, love for the Father is not in them. For everything in this world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life comes not from the Father, but from the world. The world and its desires pass away, but whoever does the will of God lives forever. And what John is doing in 1 John is he's summarizing every sin that you will come in contact with in this life, and he's putting them in categories for you. The lust of the flesh. Things you think you are, are due in attempts to make your flesh feel good. Right? Sexual sin. Pornography. Sex outside of marriage. Affairs. All those things. Gossip. Making yourself look better while making somebody else look bad. Drugs. Alcohol. All those things. Lust of the flesh. I want to feel good. The lust of the eyes. Uh, envy or coveting. I want what they have. They have great stuff. I want to be happy until, uh, until I have that house. I won't be happy until I have that girl or that boy. I won't be happy until I have that car or that job. The pride of life. The temptation to live in excess. To have excess desire for credit. To be, look at me. Look at what I've done. The desire for power. The, to receive glory. To receive promotions. I need more. Look what I did. Look how rich I am. Look at my car. Or look at how many Bible verses I know. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. That's going to save me. That's not what it's about. Anytime in Scripture, when I see Jesus calling people to follow him, I always see him saying, leave all you have behind and follow me. Die to self, pick up your cross, and follow me. But what I see in people in this culture who are saying, I'm a Christian. People in our culture who said, I'm a Christian. I'm a follower of Jesus. I see this massive looking away when it comes to sin. I see this massive, like, I don't see it. It's not there. I see this looking away. We compromise too much. The church compromises too much. Churches, church bodies are looking away at sin that is filling their churches and looking away from people who are drowning in sin and aren't helping those people walk in freedom like we were called to do. God has called us to live in life in the ministry of reconciliation. That means I'm reaching down for people who are lost in sin and helping reconcile them back to the Father. That's what we're called to do. That's what we have to see. So this morning, this has got to stop. Sin needs to be confessed. It needs to be repented of. And people need to be restored, not shamed in that. The church has shamed people for way too long. It's time to see people who are confessing, repenting, and coming out of a life of sin and help restore them to where God wants them to be. Because discipleship is about taking people where they're at and bringing them to where God wants them to be at. And that's what we're called to. Because listen, what we said a minute ago, we need to stop playing with sin. Sin has caused so much destruction throughout our lives. And there's so many people in this room right now, just by percentages, who are playing with sin like they have control of it. I got control of this sin. I got control of this pornography addiction. I got control of this thing I'm trying to do. I got control of this. I got control of this. I got control of this. But guess what? You don't because Satan came to kill you. He wants to destroy your life. He wants you to die. He wants your influence to be done. He wants to, to, to kill all the He wants to destroy your influence in this world. And that should make you angry. When I was reading this, I got, I got ticked off. That makes me mad that he wants to come and do that to this place in my heart, in my friend's life. That should make me mad. I should have a righteous indignation towards the enemy that he's trying to do that in this place. And we should fight for that through prayer on our knees. Some of us in here, he's already done it. He's already destroyed what you think you can't restore, what you can't think can't be restored. He's destroyed marriages and relationships and hearts and lives. And Jesus said, I have come to give you life new life, and there's nothing that has been lost that can't be restored in Jesus' name. That's what he says. So if you're here this morning and you're stuck in sin, or you've been overlooking sin, you may have been looking the other way, 
then come get that right today. Do not leave this place while living in sin. There are people in this room that love you and want to pray with you that you don't even know. Our prayer team's going to come up here in a second, right now. That's great. Our prayer team's going to come up here. And it's just a second, we're going to sing one more song. And there's something in here this morning where you've been distracted by religion. Or you've been distracted by sin. Or you've been distracted by good things that may have seemed good on the purpose, but it's pulled you away from the gospel and from the kingdom. This altar's open. If you want to pray with somebody, these guys want to pray with you. They'll take you anywhere you want to and pray with you until they're blue in the face. But don't leave the same way you came in. And I want to get back really quick to the parable of the sower. We talked about it a few minutes ago. One thing I love about that scripture and about, that, about, about our church, about church in general, is there are people in this room today who are listening to this podcast over the internet or, or who are completely in a different place. Good places, bad places, good marriages, struggling marriages, all these different places. But this morning, one thing I know we all have in common is that we all have distractions in our lives trying to snatch the word from our hearts. When you leave here this morning, what's going to happen? Are you just going back into your routine? What's, what's it going to look like? What is the change going to be like in your life? Distractions trying to steal what God is trying to do in your life. Are you going to allow Satan to destroy something in your life or trying to steal something from you that God has promised you in Scripture? Are we going to do that? No, I, I'm not going to let that happen. As long as I'm standing in the gap for this church, I'm going to pray for you. I'm going to fight to see this not happen. And I need you to pray for me. We need to be one in this. God may be calling you to something greater than your mind could ever fathom. And I'm going to be honest with you, he probably is. He probably is. But you may not be able to hear that this morning because you're busy. Anytime you ask somebody how they're doing, what is it? I'm busy. You just need to hear, I'm distracted, what you need to hear anytime somebody says that. Start praying for them, and let's pray for each other. So this morning, my question is, what's the, what's the, what's the condition of your heart like this morning? What's it like? Are you, are you hard-hearted? Have you lost your way? Are you stuck in sin? Are you distracted by good things? Are you distracted by religion? Are you stuck in a pattern of religion? Don't leave the same. And this morning, I'm not ignorant enough to believe that there's, everybody in this room is saved. I'm not even going to believe that, that everybody in this room understands the gospel to the point where they, are, they, are, they have obtained salvation of their souls. And this morning, I'm here to tell you that Jesus loves you. Jesus loves you to the point where he died on the cross for you. And guess what? He defeated the grave, which means you don't have to live in the grave. He came out and restored life like it was supposed to be lived. We get to start eternal life right now, not in eternity. Right now, taking that step, we start eternity. That's awesome. And so this morning, if you're here and you've never said yes to Christ, if you've never said yes to Jesus, I want to turn my life over to you, Lord. I'm a bad Lord. I want to follow you. If that's you this morning, I want to ask you to come get that right. Come see one of these guys that are on our prayer team and say, hey, I need to give my life to Christ. Say that right there. I need to give my life to Christ. I just, I just gave you the words to say it's easy, super easy, super easy. Come up here and say that. And then they'll pray with you. Then they'll, they'll walk with you, and it won't be just a day. We'll walk with you the whole way. And so look, come get that right today. And so if there's other things, this altar is wide open. But let me pray for us, and then we'll go into that time of prayer. So Lord, I love you. I thank you for who you are. I thank you for what you've done. God, I pray for life change this morning. God, move in this place or make people new. God, change hearts. God, take away the lies of the enemy right now in Jesus' name. God, the lies that he may be speaking to someone's heart, I pray that you would just silence it right now in Jesus' name. God, if someone needs you this morning, I pray that they would have the bravery to get out of their seat, Lord. God, because you came from heaven to die for us. Lord, we love you. Move, Lord. Now I pray. Amen.